listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. Let's open our Bibles today. I want to... um... I want to take you into this thought of the power of recovery, the supernatural power of recovery. Uh, Very important. It's very, very important study because you think about people that think, well, if the enemies attacked me, I guess those things are just gone forever. You know, I'll just have to build back from here. No, there's an anointing. There's an actual anointing to recover. There's an anointing to recover, recover what was stolen, recover what was lost. And so uh, today, that's what this broadcast is about, because the enemy may have lied to you and told you um, that you'll never get back what was lost. Or even in this time that we're dealing with right now, where you feel like all this stuff that's happening all over the, the nation and around the world. And you feel like there might be loss. Well, let me tell you something. There's an anointing of recovery. There is an anointing to recover what was lost and what was stolen from you. And not just, not just recover, but let me, let me encourage your faith uh, with a verse of scripture that I like to keep in front of my eyes at all times. And it's found in the book of Proverbs. And can we start there? I want to go to the book of Proverbs chapter six. That's right the supernatural power of recovery. There is an anointing to recover. There's Billion. She's back on today, our uh, phenomenal and voracious note taker. Um, Proverbs chapter six. I want to show you one verse of scripture that's very, very, very powerful. And when we're talking about the anointing for recovery, I want you to understand that if the enemy is stealing from you, if the enemy has somehow found a way in and begun to take, What God said is yours. This scripture will encourage your heart. All is not lost. It is not gone forever. Let me show you what the book of Proverbs says. Listen to this. Uh, I'll read verses 30 and 31. Listen to this. Proverbs 6, verses 30 and 31. People do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his appetite when he's hungry. But if he is caught... He will pay back sevenfold. He will give all the goods in his house. One translation says, when the thief is found, he will pay back seven times what he stole. He will pay back seven times what he stole. So listen, if the, if the scripture declares that a natural thief will do that, then you don't think the Lord's going to hold a supernatural thief to that same precedent? Of course he will. When the thief is found, he will pay back seven times what he stole in Jesus' name. And let me tell you something. It was not, and I'll make a point to you here. Job, people like to bring up the story of Job. Job opened the door to the enemy by fear, by fear. And and this is an important point to make in the time we're living in right now, as fear is being spread all over the world. Job opened the door to the attack of the devil in his life through fear. He said, the thing that I have feared or greatly feared, one translation said, has come upon me. 
And so I want you to understand something. Fear goes against God's nature, his ability, and his word. Fear goes against God's nature, his ability, and his word. Uh, I could say it to you this way, and you could put it in the comments. Fear is just faith in the wrong thing. Fear is faith in the wrong thing. Fear is faith in the devil's word, is faith in the devil's word. But faith in God's word, that's what we're teaching today. Faith in God's word. That's when you believe what the Lord has said. That's faith. Fear is when you believe what the enemy has said. I want you to catch that because it's very, very important distinction to be made. Fear is faith in the wrong thing. It is faith in the devil's word or in the natural. But what we believe, we have faith in God's word. Yes, Karen, I'll take some questions at the end. But if you're taking notes, pop it in the comments today. Fear is faith in the wrong thing. It's faith in what you see. It's faith in the natural report. It's faith in what's going on in the news. It's faith in what's going on in the world. It's trusting and believing that you will partake in calamity that's happening. That's what it is. I want you to think about this. Uh, You know, fear is taking as your own the negative things that have not even happened to you yet. I mean, think about that. Fear is taking as your own the calamity or the, the, the hurtful things going around that have not even happened to you yet. And so it is you believing a report that is not a report of the Lord and taking it as your own. Well, that's not my story. That's not my story. Yeah, Mary, and we're going to get there today. We're going to get to 1 Samuel. But I got to lay this foundation first because understand fear is faith in the wrong thing. It is saying, man, this thing's going out around the world. It's going around my neighborhood. It's going around my city. It's going around my state. I, I, I really hope I don't catch it. That's fear to, to, to hope that, that it doesn't come by. That No, faith says it will never touch me. It will never touch my children. It will never touch my house. Well, why does faith say that? Because as we know, I read you Psalm 91 yesterday. The Bible says that uh, a thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but these things will not touch you. What things? What things are we talking about? Listen, Psalm 91, the Bible says, verse four, God will cover you with his pinions and under his wings, you'll find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. You'll not fear the terror of the night or the arrow that flies by day or the pestilence that stalks in darkness or the destruction that wastes at noonday. So it's talking about the very things we're talking about in the world today. Pestilence, plague, virus, bacteria, terrorist attacks. Those are the arrows that fly by day or the terrors of the night. Terrorist attacks can't destroy you. Terrorist attacks can't destroy you. Pestilence can't destroy you. Famine can't destroy you. Why? You're under the pinion of his wings. And the Bible says you may see it happening around you, but it won't happen to you. That's Psalm 91 verses four through six and seven, four through seven. But just read all of Psalm 91, Kayla, and understand that your protection is sure. So faith says what God's word says. I want you to write that down and take notes and put it in the comments. Faith says what God's word says at all times. 
at all times. Well, brother, that seems a little foolish to me, really, to put your, your trust in a book that's thousands of years old that didn't even pertain to, oh, really? That's what you believe? You believe that somehow, because these are works of antiquity, that they no longer have relevance today? Do, you, do people actually believe God's word is no longer fruitful and powerful today? Yes, they do believe that. But that's why they don't experience the benefits of it. Because you've got to have faith in the word to receive the benefits of the word. And so, yes, I absolutely believe that the same God who promised that to his children in the Old Testament is the same God who's alive today to take care of us right now. And if he did it under an old covenant that is not anywhere close to as good as what we have, he will do it today in Jesus' name. And so it's not, he's saying, you'll see it. <clears throat> you'll see it all around you, but it won't touch you. Faith says, it won't touch me. Faith says, it won't touch me. Faith does not say, I hope I don't catch it. That's not faith. Well, I hope I don't catch it. You know, Lord willing, I won't. No, that's not faith. Faith says, it won't touch me. Well, why can you say that? Because the Bible says these things will not touch you. <laughs> That's why I can say it. Because God's word says it. If God's, if God's word didn't say it, I couldn't say it. If this word didn't say it, I couldn't confess it. But because the word does say it, I can confess it. Faith says what God's word says. If you're just jumping on, share the broadcast. Because this needs to be heard today. You hear this? Faith says what God's word says. It doesn't say, I hope I don't get it. I hope blah, blah, blah. I hope this. I hope, no, I know it. It will not touch me in Jesus name. It will not touch my family. It will not touch my children. It will not touch my finances. It will not touch my mind. It will not touch my body. It will not touch me. I can't be killed by a terrorist attack. I cannot be. My plane cannot go down. You hear what I'm saying? My plane cannot go down. Why? These things will not touch me. It's all received by faith. It's all received by faith. So catch this today. Uh, a thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand. What that verse is showing you today, and it's so vital that you catch this revelation. What this verse is telling us is someone else's story does not define my story. That's the whole basis of what Psalm 91 and verse seven is all about. Because you know what'll happen? When you start talking faith like this, when you start really pushing faith and saying, I believe no sickness can touch my body, no disease, I'll never die of cancer. I know, you know, all those different things. People start talking faith like that. You know what people will automatically do? The reason I know this is because I've been in the ministry for 20 years and I've been around the ministry for my entire life. So you know what people will do? As soon as you start talking faith like that, my plane will never go down. I will never die of cancer. I, the viruses will not touch my body. You know what people do? Well, I knew so-and-so and he was as godly of a man as you'd ever want to meet. And he died of cancer. And I know he attended church every week. And I know that he read his Bible. I mean, as soon as you start talking like this, people come out of the woodwork. Well, I knew of a preacher who was a godly man and he died in a plane crash. Well, I knew of a preacher. He was a powerful preacher and he had, 
And, and, and what do they do? They start making someone's life the basis of their faith. Dangerous move to try to make someone's natural life the basis of your faith. Nothing wrong with pointing at someone's victories or telling a testimony. <clears throat> the Bible says that uh, we should have a testimony of God's goodness. We should be able to testify of his greatness, but those testimonies are not the basis of our faith. The word of God, the written word of God is the basis of our faith. If no, listen to me, it's so powerful that you could say it like this. If I never saw any miracles performed, if I never saw one miracle performed in my entire life, I could still preach and teach and say, he's a miracle worker. Why could I say that? You've never seen a miracle. Yeah, but his word says that he is one. So if his word says that he is one, then I can preach and teach and proclaim that he is one because his word says it. Well, you've never seen miracles. You've seen just tons of people go through struggle. It doesn't matter what I've seen. And that's the whole point of Psalm 91 and verse seven. It's saying what you will see versus what will happen to you. It's what you will see versus what will happen to you. A thousand may fall at your side. I see it. 10,000 may fall at your right hand. I see it. But, but, that's a big but. <laughs> These things will not touch you. Well, you realize everybody that's ever seen anything horrible could define their faith by what they've seen other people go through. But that's not what we're commanded to do. I don't care if the person was a Christian. I don't care if they were a preacher. I don't care who they are. They're not God and they're not God's word and they're not the basis for my faith. I mean, people, people need to be taught and they need to be rebuked when they talk like that. Well, I knew so-and-so, and he was a godly man, as godly as you ever want to see, and he died of cancer. They need to be told, oh, ex oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realize that Brother Jeff was God's word in the flesh. I thought Jesus was the word made flesh. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realize that Sister Carol, or you know, whoever you want to talk, I'm just making up names. I didn't realize that Sister Carol and the problem that she had was the defining characteristic of my Christian faith. It's not. So quit pointing at temporal examples of natural, finite men and women as the basis for what you should believe as a Christian. You're not. Your covenant is not based on Brother Jeff, and your covenant's not based on Sister Carol. It's based on the mighty word of God and Jesus Christ's blood that was shed for you. My covenant, your covenant is based on God's integrity and his word, not a person. It has nothing to do with a person. And so I'm not going to sit around and say, well, you know, I knew so-and-so and blah, blah, blah. They, they really struggled and they died and their plane crashed and they had cancer and they died. I don't care. I'm sorry that it happened. I feel for their family, but that doesn't divine me or my life. And I refuse to allow it to. A thousand may fall at your side. If every Christian I ever knew died of cancer, it wouldn't change the fact that these things will not touch me in Jesus' name. 
because it's not my story. And they don't determine my faith. This word does. Do you know, <clears throat> the Bible doesn't say, um, you know, the Bible doesn't say that um, <clears throat> faith comes by watching the life of others. That's not what Romans 10, 17 says. And faith comes by watching the lives of brothers and sisters in Christ. It doesn't say that. It says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Romans 10, 17. Faith doesn't come by watching the lives of others. It comes by hearing and hearing by, by the word of God. So understand with me today, I don't, someone else's story does not define your story. Well, so-and-so, we heard from a, <clears throat> a friend of ours that goes to a church we know, they all got coronavirus. Well, I'm very sorry to hear that. I'll pray for them. Very sorry to hear it. But that doesn't have anything to do with my covenant whatsoever. Well, you know, so-and-so over there, they had uh, even the pastors at such-and-such such a church uh, uh, got diagnosed with coronavirus. They're in quarantine right now. Very sorry to hear it. I'll pray the prayer of faith. But that doesn't define my faith, and it doesn't define my reality. My reality, and I'm thankful for this, my reality and my faith are not based on the experiences of other men and women. It would be foolish for us to allow other people's experience define our faith. No, no. The Bible says you'll see discrepancies in the experience of other men and women. A thousand will fall at your side. 10,000 may fall at your right hand. However, these things will not touch you. I want you to buy, by faith, let us settle this once and for all. Once and for all, let us settle this. Just put it in the comments. These things will not touch me. Just, just settle it in your spirit once and for all. These things will not touch me. Pop it in the comments and know it by faith. Doesn't matter what you see. Doesn't matter how many Christians, preachers, whatever, get what. Put it in the comments. These things will not touch me. I'm taking round two. That's right. Pop it up. That's right, Vincent. These things will not touch me in Jesus' name. Now let's go to Luke 17, because I want to talk about this anointing for recovery. The anointing for recovery. There's Jeff. Good to see you. These things will not touch me. That's right. Keep it up. Type it. Type it by faith. If you want to put it in all caps, put it in all caps. Who cares? These things will not touch me in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to talk to you now, the, 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 the power of recovery. That's it, mama. Not me. <clears throat> Luke chapter 17, and let's go to verse number 11. Of course, this is the story of Jesus cleansing 10 lepers who should have been in quarantine, by the way. What were they doing out of quarantine? They should have been practicing social distancing. That's it. That's it. These things will not touch me. Why weren't they practicing social distancing? Because they needed a miracle. That's why. Because without Jesus, they were dead. That's why. Well, we got to practice social distancing. Got to stay apart. 
Let me tell you, if I ever get to the place where I have so little faith that I have to stay away from sick people so that I feel like I can stay whole, I might as well quit this ministry. I might as well hang it up. I, I, it's go, I, we got to go back to the question that we asked before. Do my hands heal the sick or do my hands catch and spread diseases? Which one? I went to the gym yesterday. I put my hands all over everything. I laid down on benches. I touched every weight. I walked through and breathed the air. I mean, I went and laid down. I mean, I, I was touching everything, touching everything, everything. I didn't go in there with uh, surgical gloves on into the gym. Well, I got to be you know, working out with a mask on and surgical gloves. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding? I might as well hang it up. And, and not only did Jesus not wear a face mask, Julie, he was around lepers that were so contagious that under the law of Moses, they were quarantined, which is where quarantine was invented. That's the origin of quarantine. Law of Moses, leper colonies. That's it, AJ, gains. <laughs> and so I want you, yeah, they closed mine too. People are full of fear. It's ridiculous. Let me tell you something stupid. They didn't only, they didn't only close my gym. They closed my the, the clubhouse of my neighborhood. The clubhouse, the, the weight room in my neighborhood. They closed that. I've never seen 10 people in that room in the entire time I've lived here. You know, the government said, you know, no, no, no more than 10 people in a room or whatever uh, President Trump said. I've never seen 10 people in there at once in my life. <laughs> they got, got that closed down. I'm thinking about breaking in. Anyway, Luke 17. This was a story where these people should have been quarantined. They came out of their quarantine in order to catch a miracle from the master. And so let's start with verse 11 of, of Luke 17. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was passing along between Samaria and Galilee, and as he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourself to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Now, let's understand something here. That's right. <clears throat> Mother Teresa, who was a Catholic, working amongst all those that were sick, working in India, never got leprosy or anything else. <laughs> Not 200 years, but she was old. God will keep you. And so as they went, they were cleansed. Then, now I want you to understand what this means here. <clears throat> they were battling leprosy, skin disease. It was, it, was, it was eating away your flesh, eating away your skin, eating away your organs, your ears, nose, fingers, toes, whatever. You may have seen that in history. People walking around, lose, lost fingers, lost nose, ears, all this. Why? Because leprosy ate it away. And it was extremely contagious. But the Bible says, as they went and obeyed the word of Jesus, what happened? They were cleansed of their leprosy, which means the disease was gone from their body. But it has nothing to do with the fact that they got their fingers or toes or anything. It just means that the disease would no longer eat anything else away from their body. The leprosy left. But I want you to go further. Verse 15, then one of them, when he saw he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. And now he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answered, uh, weren't there 10 cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, 
rise and go your way for your faith has made you whole. Your faith has made you whole. Let me just tell you something. Something different happened for this one man than happened for the other nine. They were cleansed. His faith made him whole. But let me tell you something. You can't be whole if you're missing fingers. You can't be whole if you're missing an ear. Can't be whole if you're missing toes. You can't be whole with patches of your skin gone. Something happened for him. He tapped in to the anointing of recovery. How did he do it? Two elements, praise and thanksgiving. Praise and thanksgiving. The Bible says the other two or the other nine just kept on going but he, when he realized his, his healing had come, he turned around, went back to Jesus and began to praise him and worship him, began to praise him and worship. And Jesus said, go your way. Your faith has made you whole. Something different happened for him. Why? As we begin to praise God, as we begin to thank God, that puts us immediately into the presence of God. <clears throat> now, Once we get into and activate the presence of God, we have access to the pleasures that are in his right hand. Psalm 16 and 11 says that in his presence, talking about God's presence, in his presence is fullness of joy and at his right hand, watch this, are pleasures forevermore. Pleasures forevermore more. Hallelujah. Woo. Glory to God. Pleasures. I have access. You have access to the pleasures that are in the right hand of God as we enter into his presence. And the Bible tells us and teaches us the quickest way to enter into the presence of God is to begin praising him for God inhabits the praises of Israel. That's the family you're a part of now. You've been grafted into the family of God by the spirit of adoption, Romans chapter eight, by the spirit of adoption, you've been brought into the family. And so now you've got access to the pleasures that are in his right hand. And as you praise him, you activate his power, you activate his presence, and he begins to move on your behalf. The other nine just got cleansed, but the one was restored. The one was restored. Hallelujah. I want you to see this with me also. Go back to the Old Testament, 2 Kings chapter 19. Made you whole. Thank you, Lord. (laughs) Lynn Ann said, I just found toilet paper for the first time in two weeks. Thank you, Jesus. Just in time. (laughs) I'm sorry that made me laugh, Lynn Ann. As as you said, just in time. (laughs) Oh, that's, I I see, I see, I see. Second Kings 19. Love you, brother Frank. That's it. Prayer and praise service tonight at church. It's what we need. It's what we need. We need to pray and praise God and give him thanks. Second Kings 19. Now, this is a very, very scary thing to have happen to you as a nation. What's happening in this passage? This is a, an evil king by the name of Sennacherib who is harassing nations and overtaking them 
and then finally gets to uh, King Hezekiah, the king of God's people, and starts to defy the Lord and starts to threaten God's people. It's a bad idea to threaten God's people. Bad idea. Why is it a bad idea? Because the Bible says God promised to Abraham, I will bless those that bless you and I will curse those that curse you. I will bless those that bless you and I will curse those that curse you. It is a bad idea to activate the curse of God on your life because you harass God's people. Bad idea. It's a bad idea. It's always best to be on the Lord's side. Let me just say it that way. Always best to be on the Lord's side. And the Bible says this, that Sennacherib writes a letter and sends it in to King Hezekiah. And uh, I want you to, I want you to see this with me. He attacks Judah and uh, sends them this letter, which is so funny to me. Somebody had to run it in and give it, um, give it to King Hezekiah. (laughs) And uh, let me read this to you so that you can see what I'm talking about. Um, in, in, uh, the 18th chapter, let's go to, uh, he's threatening. I mean, he just keeps threatening and threatening. And then he says this, <clears throat> uh, let's go to verse 32 until I come and take you away to a land like your own land, a land of grain and wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive trees and honey that you may live and not die. And do not listen to Hezekiah when he misleads you. This is what he's telling the people of God. Don't don't listen to your king when he misleads you by saying, the Lord will deliver us. He's starting to mock the God of Israel. Sennacherib says, don't listen to your king when he says, the Lord will deliver us. Look at verse 33. Has any of the gods of the nations ever delivered his land out of the hand of king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Sepharvim, Hannah, and Ivah? Have they delivered Samaria out of my hand? The king's bragging now. He's bragging. Who among all the gods of the lands have delivered their lands out of my hand? That the Lord should deliver Jer- that, that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of my hand. But the people were silent and did not and, and, did, and answered him not a word, for the king's command was, do not answer him. So notice, I want you to notice, first of all, what King Sennacherib is mockingly saying to the people of Jerusalem and Judah and and King Hezekiah. Do you honestly think that your God, Jehovah, Yahweh, is going to deliver you out of my hand? Do you know who I am? Do you know who you're talking to? I'm Sennacherib, king of Assyria. Every nation I've gone to, has said the same thing you're saying. Our gods will deliver us. Our gods will deliver us. And then he starts to list the nations. Did their gods keep them out of my hands or did I overtake their nations and take their women and children as slaves and kill their men? Did I not take their lands? 
They all thought the same thing you think. Our God will deliver us. Our God will. And he's mocking the God of, of, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Mocking Jehovah, mocking Yahweh. The problem with his argument is this. The other gods, the other people that he's talking about were not true gods. They were not alive. They had no power. But now he's up against God who is alive and who does have power. And so I want you to see this with me now. Go to 19, 2 Kings 19, uh, verse 10. Thus shall you speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah. Do not let your God in whom you trust deceive you by promising that Jerusalem will not be given under the hand of king of Assyria. Behold, you've heard. Have their gods saved them? I'm I'm, I'm skipping down now. He's asking. Now, here's what Hezekiah does after he got the letter from King Sennacherib mocking their God. Here's what Hezekiah does. Verse 14 of 2 Kings 19. Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, now look, he wasn't just praying, he was praising. Check this. And said, O Lord, God of Israel, enthroned high above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made the heavens and the earth. What's he start by doing? Praising God talking about God's greatness, talking about God's power, talking about God's authority, talking about his creative ability. He's praising God to start his prayer. Notice he took that mocking letter, went straight up to the temple, laid it out before the Lord and began to praise God. Before he ever prayed, he praised. Catch that with me. Before he ever prayed, he praised. I want you to write it in the comments. Every single person that's watching me, write it in the comments. Before I pray, I praise. Write it in the comments. Every single person. Before I pray, I praise. Before I pray, I praise. I'm waiting on you. Put it in the comments. This is so, so vital that you don't miss this point in the power of recovery. The power of recovery. Before I pray, I praise. That's it. Write it, write it, write it. Before I pray, I praise. Why is this important? Uh, Because I got to break it down for you. Write it. Before I pray, I praise. Before I, that's it. That's it. Before I pray, I praise. Why? If you want the access to the power of recovery, you must understand God's way. Before I pray, I praise. You know, even in the Old Testament, why? Why does the Bible say, come into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise? What most people want to do is jump straight into the Holy of Holies and get their miracle. That's what most people, that's what the flesh wants to do. Wants to jump straight into the Holy of Holies and grab a miracle. But God's got a system. God's got a way. Before I pray, I praise. Before I praise, I thank him. Come into his gates with thanksgiving and then into his courts with praise. 
Don't try to run into the Holy of Holies without preparing yourself with thanksgiving and praise. Why? These are the things that activate the mighty power and presence of God in your life. Thanksgiving is a key to recovery and praise is a key to power. Thanksgiving's a key to recovery. Praise is a key to power. Before I pray, I praise. In fact, I've, I've, and it sounds kind of corny to say it this way, but I've encouraged people <clears throat> all over, all over, I've encouraged people to make your prayer life a thanksgiving and praise sandwich. What do I mean by that? It's the best way I could think to say it, probably because I think about food so much. <laughs> a thanksgiving and praise sandwich. What does that mean? I start my prayer time with thanksgiving and praise, and then I make my requests known unto God. I don't come straight in asking him to do stuff for me. I don't just run in like he's an ATM and start asking him and start trying to withdraw a blessing. No, I don't do that. I do it his way. Come into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. It's a thanksgiving and praise sandwich. You can write that in the comments if you want. I start my prayer time with thanksgiving and then praise. And then I make my requests known unto God. And then I finish my prayer time with praise and thanksgiving. So praise and thanksgiving are bookends on either end of my prayer. To give, it, to give you more of a, of, of a view here, what I'm doing is this. I start by thanking and praising God for number one, who he is and the things he's already done. <clears throat> That's scriptural, by the way. That's scriptural. We're, we're praising and thanking him for things he's already done. That's found in Psalm 150. The Bible says, praise him for his mighty acts of greatness. Praise him for his mighty. So I already do that. I start my prayer time by doing that. Lord, I thank you. I thank you that you're Jehovah Jireh. I thank you for every time you've provided in my life. Thank you for providing for my family. I thank you that we have more than enough. I thank you that our refrigerator will never be empty. I thank you that the pantry will never be bare. I thank you that my children will never sit down at the table and have nothing to eat. I thank you that my body is constantly being quickened by your spirit. I thank you that my mind is anointed by your hand. I thank you, Lord, that my finances are blessed by the provider. I just start to thank him because of his name who he is, who, who, what is his personality? What's his characteristics? What is his nature? I thank him for that. And then I praise him for what he's done. Father, only you could do these things. I magnify you because you're the God who's more powerful than cancer. You're more powerful than diabetes. You're more powerful than arthritis. I thank you, God, that in my body, you're more powerful than every foreign thing that tries to overtake my health, overtake my mind. I, I praise you, God, that you're greater than any terrorist attack that's sent against my life. You are my shield and my buckler. I thank you that you're a wall and a hedge of protection around me. And I just start doing that at the beginning. And when I'm done, I may take 20, 30 minutes just to do that, just to do that. And then when I'm done, <clears throat> I make my requests and ask God, for things that I'm believing him for. But then, <clears throat> see, see, watch this. At the beginning, I was thanking and praising him for what he's already done. Then I request. And then at the end, I thank him and praise him for what he's about to do. Watch this. Past, present, future. Put that. 
put that in the comments. This will help your prayer life. This will help your prayer life immensely. Just write those three words, past, present, future. Past, present, future. That's your prayer life right there. That's the map of your prayer life. Past, present, future. What do I mean by that? First of all, past. I'm praising and thanking him for what's in the past. Praising and thanking him for what's in the past. What has he done? Who is he? Who who has he always been? You know, you go back and look at his marvelous acts, his mighty acts of greatness in the past. It's already done. Start with the past. Praise him for the past. Thank him for the past. But when you finish that, now you get into the present, what you need right now. What do I need right now? What do I need right now? Here's my request, Lord. Here's what I'm believing for. This is what I need right now in the present. See, you've already praised him in the past. You've already given him thanks for the past, but now we move into the present and we begin to activate our faith. Lord, this is what I'm believing for right now. This is what I need. And you make your petition. You make your request known unto God, but then future. Faith truly, truly rests in the future because faith is the evidence of things hoped for the evidence of things not yet seen. You see that? So they're not seen yet. They're still hoped for. It's me reaching my hand into the future by faith and pulling out of the unseen what I'm believing for. So future is where we end. After the requests are made, what do we do then? We begin to thank and praise God for the future. I thank you, Lord. It's coming to pass. Maybe you're praying for healing in your body, but after you're done praying, you may still feel the symptom. No, it doesn't matter what you feel. You believe you receive when you pray. So what do you start doing? Even though you don't feel it yet, you thank him that it's already done. You've moved into the future. I thank you, Lord, that I'm healed. I thank you, Lord, that it's already completed. I thank you that I'm walking in victory. I praise you that you've got your hand of protection on me, that your hand of healing is on me, that I walk in divine health. You go. You start in the past, praise him and thank him for that. You move to the present and you make your requests known. And then you go into the future and thank and praise him for what he's about to do. We're talking about the anointing or the power for recovery. This is what's going on here. And so what is Hezekiah doing in 2 Kings chapter 19? He is praising God for who he is and always has been and what he's done in the past. He's magnifying it. Notice he doesn't go straight into asking for help from Sennacherib. He goes into praise and thanksgiving, just like the leper did after he was healed, begins to thank Jesus for what had been done. So notice this, the Bible says, Uh, He begins to praise him. Oh, Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, your God, you alone, all the kingdoms of the earth, you've made the heaven and the earth. Incline, now he goes into, incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see, and hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. I like what he says here. He's not saying, Lord, we're in trouble. He's saying, Lord, they're attacking you directly. I don't know if you hear, Lord, what's going on. He's not speaking against me. He's speaking against you. He said, your power is not enough to protect us. He said, your arm is too short to save. Puts it on God. Incline your ear, O Lord, he sent, which he sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste to the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods. 
but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they were destroyed. So now, O Lord our God, save us, please, from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. You see that? Know that you, O Lord, are God alone. Notice what uh, Hezekiah does. This is so, so powerful. He bases what God's going to do for him on God getting glory and God getting praise and on a distinction between the true and living God and false gods. Well, that's a way into God's heart because the Bible says the, the Lord our God is a jealous God. That means he wants all the praise, all the glory, all the honor. He'll not share his glory with any man. He'll not share his glory with any false God. He is God alone all by himself. So if you're, if what you're saying to God is, Lord, if you'll come through on this, if you'll work this miracle, if you'll perform this supernatural action, I will give you all the praise and publicly everyone will see that you alone are God. These other gods are wood and stone made by the hands of men, but you alone are God by yourself. And he's basically telling God, you're going to get all the praise. You're going to get all the glory because every other nation has fallen to the hands of Syria and has fallen to the hands of Sennacherib. And you'll be the only God left standing as you protect your people. God says, I'm willing to do that. I want, not only do I love my people, I'll take all the glory from this situation. I'll take all the glory. Look at verse 32. The Bible says, and this is the answer, by the way, to Hezekiah's prayer. Verse 32 of 2 Kings 19. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city or shoot one arrow there or come before it with a shield or cast up a siege mound against it. By the way that he came, by the same he shall return. Hallelujah. Let me just encourage you. Every attack that was sent against your life the same way it came is the same way it's running out the door in Jesus' mighty name. Everything that opposes your covenant with God, the same way it tried to come in, is the same way it's running out in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. He shall not come into this city, for I will defend this city to save it for my own sake. I could preach a whole message on this right here. For my own sake and for my servant David's sake. Now, I could stop there and talk about stored up favor because when God said this in 2 Kings 19, David had already been dead for over 300 years. 300 years David had been dead. Well, check this out. God is still doing favors for Israel based on the favor that David has stored up in heaven. He said, I'll do this not just for my sake, but for the sake of my servant David. Well, David's been dead 300 years. Why are you still doing favors for him? Because David was such a man of praise and thanksgiving that he stored up more favor than he could even use in his lifetime. But because God is a God who has to answer what, was been, what has been done, somebody has to be able to reap those benefits for David's faithfulness. So he's still giving it to his people in the name of David who laid the favor up by praise and worship and obedience. Look at this. What am I telling you? That you can live in such a way that you can build up favor for your children, that you can build up protection for your children. My kids, 
My kids will literally experience benefits because of my faithfulness and my wife's faithfulness. I'm experiencing benefits because of my father and mother's faithfulness and my uncle's faithfulness and my grandfather and grandmother's faithfulness. I'm experiencing benefits today because of what they did. Favor, stored up, couldn't use it all in a lifetime. My grandfather's gone on to be with the Lord, but our family's still reaping benefits from his faithfulness. I'm reaping benefits from my father and mother's faithfulness. My children will reap benefits, and they already are, from my faithfulness, and your children will as well. Why? You can store up favor in heaven. And God said, here, I'll do it for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. Verse 35, and that night, I love this, in one night, God can turn your whole situation around in one night. One night. Look at this. And that night, the angel of the Lord went out. Now stop there because I love the fact that God didn't even have to name the angel. It was not Gabriel, was not Michael that we know of. They're usually named when they're spoken about, archangels. But this was just an angel, a nondescript, everyday angel from heaven. He didn't even need to pull out the big guns. God just pointed at an angel in heaven and said, hey, you, go. And in the night, the angel of the Lord went out and struck down, think about this, struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when the 185,000, <laughs> catch this, King Hezekiah and the people of Jerusalem and Judah had 185,000 problems <laughs> because at any moment, any one of those soldiers could have shot an arrow and pierced the heart of any one of those people. They were surrounding their city, 185,000. You got problems. But in one night, one angel, not an army of angels, one angel, one angel went out and struck down 185,000 soldiers. And when the people arose early in the morning, behold, they, these were all dead bodies. Karen, not, not in the body of Christ, curses can't be passed. We're delivered from the curse. There's no curse that can overtake the blessing of God. So no, curses for Christians cannot be passed. For the unbeliever, yes, but not for Christians. Um, and Sennacherib, watch this. King of Assyria departed and went home and lived at Nineveh. You see that? Just like God said he would, the, the king that brought all the issues, the king that brought all the problems, he turned around and went back where he came from. His army was slaughtered by one angel. One angel. One angel struck them down. Now listen, if you think that all you've got is one angel, you don't know the word. Because Hebrews chapter 1 teaches that angels are ministering spirits that are sent forth to minister on behalf of those that have inherited salvation. Hebrews 1.14. Angels are at your disposal. They're working on your behalf under the uh, authority and the command of God. And so you don't have access to one angel. You have access to all angels. Angels are watching. Let me just tell you this. Well, I don't, I don't have time to get into that, but I could... I could get in and show you the power of the angelic force at your disposal, that God is using his angelic hosts. You know, when I used to read that as a little kid at Christmas time, he's the Lord of hosts. I never knew what that meant. What does the Lord of hosts mean? 
And then I picked up a more modern translation later and read that it says he's the Lord of heaven's armies. Hosts meant the armies of heaven. He is the commander of heaven's armies. He's the commander of heaven's armies. You're not in trouble today. You're about to recover all by the power of the Holy Ghost. You're going to recover all by the power of the Holy Ghost. Let me uh, let me just do this. Let's go to 1 Samuel 30 quickly because I wanted to get here. 1 Samuel 30. If you're just logging on, don't forget. Don't forget as we're studying this that tonight we're coming back for the Spirit of Faith sessions, 7 p.m. Don't miss this. Every single night at 7 p.m. Eastern time, that's New York City time, we're going to have the Spirit of Faith sessions. Last night was the first and I'm going to come on and build your faith and stir you up to the next level every single night until I hear the Lord say stop. So twice a day, 1030, Monday through Friday, and then every night at 7, just so that you know if you're just logging on. 1 Samuel 30, the Bible says that while David and his men were out, there were Amalekites that came in and took his wife, wives, children of the men took their, all their stuff. And the Bible says, and David obviously was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him. (laughs) I'm sure they did. Our kids are gone. Our wives are gone. Let's kill our leader. And the Bible says the people were bitter in soul for their sons and daughters, but David strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. Let's stop there for a second. That's first Samuel 30. And uh, verse six, 1 Samuel 30 and verse six, this is something that the body of Christ needs to learn how to do. David strengthened himself in the Lord is God. David strengthened himself. He didn't wait for someone else to strengthen him. He didn't wait for a prophet. He was a prophet. He didn't wait for someone else. He didn't need help. He didn't need somebody to, he waited on the Lord and strengthened himself in the Lord his God. He said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod, that's the priestly garment. And he began to inquire of the Lord. Back, We're back to prayer and praise again. Shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? And he answered, pursue, for you shall surely overtake them and shall recover all or shall surely rescue, one translation says. So David set out and the 600 men who were with him, and they came to the brook called Bezor, and uh, where those who were left behind stayed, and he pursued, he and 400 men, 200 stayed behind, that were too exhausted. And the Bible says, and if you skip down, the Bible says that David attacked and defeated the Amalekites, captured I love this. Let me me read this to you. Verse 17, I love this. And David struck them down from twilight until the evening of the next day. I mean, he beat them senseless all through the night until the evening of the next day. I mean, beat them senseless, killed them. And the Bible says, and not a man of them escaped. Not one, except 400 young men who mounted camels and fled. And David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken. Not some of it, all of it. He didn't recover some, he recovered all that they had taken. 
and David rescued his two wives, nothing was missing. Whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that had been taken, David brought back all. David also captured all the flocks and herds and the people drove the livestock before him and said, this is David's spoil. I want you to hear this with me, that not one thing was lost, not one thing was missing, not one thing was gone. By the power of God, David went out and recovered everything by the power of God. Nothing was missing, nothing was lost, nothing was broken. Every child came back. Every wife came back. All the spoil came back and the livestock and the herds, every single thing that was taken. Not only that, God gave him a good amount of time to just sit there and destroy his enemy all through the night from twilight to the evening of the next day. And and let me tell you something, David was victorious by the power of God. You will be and are victorious by the power of God in Jesus' name. Nothing will be missing, nothing will be broken, nothing will be lost in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Nothing will be missing, nothing will be broken, nothing will be lost in the mighty name of Jesus. You shall recover. There is an anointing and a power for recovery. And the things that you thought were lost or that the devil said would never come back to you, let me encourage you today. It is coming back to you by the power of the Holy Ghost. You will recover what was lost. Let me encourage you to do what David did. Strengthen yourself in the Lord. Strengthen yourself in the Lord. How do you do that? Last night, I was talking to you about how important it is to pray in tongues, pray in the Holy Ghost and stir up your most holy faith. Strengthen yourself. Paul said that as you pray in the spirit or pray in tongues, you are edifying yourself, you're building yourself up, you're encouraging yourself in the Lord. Jude wrote that you're building up your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. It is coming back in Jesus' name. At the end of this broadcast, I'm gonna pray for every person watching. If you've lost something, if you feel like all is lost, if you feel like you're dejected in a place where uh, you know you you have uh, things that are, are missing from your life or you feel like you went through something you should have never had to go through, let me tell you, the power of God is coming upon your life and you're gonna recover what was lost. You're gonna take, and nothing will be missing, nothing broken, nothing lost in Jesus' name. Not only praying in the Holy Ghost, but getting yourself full of God's word, his written word. If you don't read the word and have a schedule to read it and to fill yourself with it, you're missing out on fuel for your spirit. The word of God is supernatural life. What did Jesus say in John 6, 63? The words that I give unto you or speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. They are spirit and they are life. It is spiritual life. In fact, those of you that are watching, everybody in the comments, I want you to write this. The word of God is spiritual life to me. The word of God is spiritual life to me. Pop that in the comments. So important. So important. The word of God is spiritual life to me. You got to fill yourself. Strengthen yourself in the Lord. Don't wait for Sunday. Many Sundays have been canceled. Many Sundays have been canceled all around the nation. Don't wait for Sunday. 
Don't wait for a Wednesday night. They've been canceled. Many of you will be home. Of course, we'll be live here on Facebook. If I had a church, it'd be open, but I don't. I have this, and that's what we're doing. And so I'm going to speak to you here, and I'm going to build your faith. Don't miss every night at 7. Don't miss it. Yes, distractions will be moved in Jesus' name. That's right. The word of God is spiritual life to me. Spiritual life to me. And you need to fill yourself with it. You need to pray in the spirit, pray in your known language, and you need to read what God's word says and fill yourself. We're praying for Belinda. We're we're praying for coronavirus has to go. Pneumonia has to go. And her children will be healed. She'll be healed. No no wicked thing. I'm going to pray for you at the end of this broadcast. And I'm going to declare over you that you're going to recover everything by the power of God. You've got to focus, Karen. You have the mind of Christ. Listening to teaching is good, but you need to read the word of God for yourself. It's very important. Very, very important. So let me encourage you tonight at seven, don't miss this. But I want to pray for you right now. Every person, if you are not driving, lift your hands and receive this prayer over your life. Father, in Jesus' name, I'm praying now for every man, every woman watching this broadcast. I I loose it now, the mighty power of God into your body healing virtue, strengthening virtue. If any sickness has tried to overtake you, I rebuke it now in Jesus' name. Loose your grip on God's people and let them go in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Let them go. And I loose the power of God to you. The same virtue that came out of Christ healed the woman. I command that disease to leave you as the virtue of God fills your body. Depression and anxiety have to go. Peace must come. Joy must come. I thank you, Lord, for putting a hedge of protection around us. You're the only God that can do these things. Just like Hezekiah said, everything else is the works of men. But today we thank you, Lord, that you're protecting your people. You're guarding your people. You're watching over your people in the mighty name of Jesus. We honor you today. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. I'm going to take some questions here at the end of the broadcast, those of you that are hanging with me. If you haven't subscribed to our YouTube channel yet, please do that today. Go to YouTube, search my name, Ted Shuttlesworth Jr. You'll see the channel has about 18 some thousand subscribers. Subscribe today and be a part of the YouTube family. I see many of you are watching on YouTube today. And so uh, I want you to do that. If you've not done it, take some time today to do it. And let me encourage you now to take a moment to sow a seed by faith. I want you to pray about this because one of the things Carolyn and I have have asked the Lord is that we're asking God to connect us with people that are serious about the harvest, serious about seeing this generation changed. Not somebody that's flipping about it, not somebody that just does it in passing, people that are serious about seeing this world changed before Jesus comes back. And I said, Lord, give us at least a thousand people that will partner with us on a monthly basis at a minimum of $85 or more. Some people are doing it weekly. Some people are doing it uh, $21 and something a week and doing $85 a month or more. Many are standing with us at $100, $200, $300, $500 a month. Whatever the Lord speaks to you, we're asking people to step out by faith. You can do that at miracleword.com and you can click on the partner button and fill out a form that will allow you to sow your seed every month. You can do it by PayPal, Cash App, Those of you that are watching on Facebook or or Periscope, Twitter, you can just put hashtag donate in the comment section and sow that way. 
or even taking Venmo now. You can use the same username, MWGIVE. And for the month of March, what we wanted to do is put a gift in your hand uh, to say thank you for standing with us. And it's this powerful book by A.A. Allen, The Price of God's Miracle Working Power. It was a life-changing message to him, changed his whole ministry, turned him into a miracle man. And it's changed many ministries and lives after his, including mine and my family's. And it will bless you immensely. And so that's going to be our gift to those of you that are sowing $85 or more this month. And let me just say this. Yes, that's it. That's it. Mom has given her testimony. After she was sandwiched in between a car and somebody was trying to leave her restaurant and go drive uh, drunk, crushed her crushed her and the power of God touched her and healed her. I was in that service. It was powerful. We serve a healing God and he'll protect us. Let me just say also, if you've not gotten a chance to check this out, Blood on the Door, this book was released just a couple of years ago. This book is needed right now with what's going on in America. And this is about the protective power of covenant. It's available on our website. It's available on Amazon. It's available for Kindle and Apple Books. So anywhere you want to get it, it's available. And this will show you what the word of God says about supernatural protection in your life. You know, it's cool for those of you that are sewing $1,000 or more. We're sending you this genuine leather uh, life application study Bible in the New Living Translation. It is phenomenal. This is such a phenomenal tool. And uh, I, I never got, but I wanted to kind of give you a picture of it. I wanted to give you a picture of it. And so I was just looking to see if I had it available. Yes, I do. I do have it. Um, let me show you this. Pretty cool. Uh, I just wanted to show you what it looks like so that you could kind of see. This is really, and maybe I'll show you this when we do the Bible study stuff. Um, where's the notes? That's the text. I want to show you the notes real quick. There they are. Look at this. This is so cool. Uh, let me switch over to that so you guys can see it. Look at this. So if I were to read uh, John chapter 1 and verse 1, check this out. Uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was fully God. Uh, and then you go to verse 2. But look here. Here's the, here's the notes, if you can see it, from the Life Application Study Bible. But look, here's 1-1. One, one. And here's one one, and here's one one. So there's multiple places where uh, notes are being given. But look at this. The Bible says what Jesus taught and what he did are tied inseparably to who he is. John shows Jesus as fully human and fully God. Although Jesus took upon himself full humanity and lived as a man, he never ceased to be the eternal God who has always existed. The creator and sustainer of all things and the source of eternal life this is the truth about Jesus and the foundation of all truth. If we cannot do or not believe this basic truth, we will not have enough faith to trust our eternal destiny to him. That's why John wrote this gospel to build faith and confidence in Jesus Christ so that we may believe in truly, uh, he truly was and is the son of God. Then you keep uh, going down and uh, I love this kind of stuff. What does John mean by the word? The word was a term used by theologians and philosophers, both Jews and Greeks, in many different ways. 
It's showing that he was not just saying that he was a God. They were showing that he was the God. There's a note about this uh, here. And then also in what I showed you the other day, which is called the New English Translation with 60,000 translator notes. Uh, They want you to know where it says the word was with God and the word was fully God. The NET says was fully God. Most translations say the word was God. But it doesn't want you to think by any means that the Greek means that he was a God, like any other Greek God. It's showing here in the writing that he was fully God, that he was the God, the only God. And so there's so much awesome stuff uh, packed into that. And we're going to bless you with that. In this, I mean, look how there's so much in this Life Application Study Bible, so many notes, so many things to, to help you. Uh, with your Bible study. And so we're, we're going to bless every person with that who sows $1,000 or more this month, as well as the book. And I'm going to sign it to your family just to tell you we love you so much. Um, I wanted to just see, and I know there were some people that had a few questions, uh, and I wanted to see if there were any that came through. I didn't want to miss any. We're praying for you. Yeah, we're, pray- we're praying for you, standing with you. Let me just see if, if there was any questions. I wanted to... Um, So Karen has a question about being spiritual Israel. And so she said, I know this, this is a question from Karen Neary. She says on YouTube, I know it's deep, but I cannot understand um, how we are Israel. It says after the rapture, God deals with Israel. Is that unbelievers in Israel? So there's a difference between natural Israel and spiritual Israel. Um, What Paul is teaching in the book of Romans about the spirit of adoption, Karen, is that though we were born as Gentiles, not Jewish by blood, that by our faith, we become the children of God or spiritual Israel. We're grafted into the vine or into the tree that we became became his children by adoption. Because remember what the Bible says about Jesus. He came unto his own, that's the Jews, and his own would not receive him. That's what the Bible says about uh, what, what Jesus' mission was. He came unto his own and they would not receive him. And so what happened? God opened up the gospel message, not just to the Jews, but also to everybody. And that's why Peter, the apostle, In Acts chapter 10, God had to actually give him a vision. He lowered a sheet down from heaven in Acts chapter 10 and showed him all these animals on the sheet that were considered by the law of Moses unclean animals. And God said, take and eat. And Peter said, no way, I'm not going to eat, Lord, that's unclean. And then God said something interesting. He said, do not call unclean what I have cleansed. And that what, what he's saying to him here in this passage is, don't look at the Gentiles as unclean and unworthy of the gospel. Because the very next thing that happens is that Peter is brought to Cornelius's house. These are Italian people. They're not Jewish. They're Italian. And he's led by the Lord, by an angel, to preach the gospel to these Italians who were not Jewish. 
It would seem crazy to most people. Well, they're not the people of God. Why should they get the word of God? Because God is changing things in the New Testament. He said, it's not just for the Jews. It's for everybody who receives me by faith. So what happens is, is that we become Jews, not of circumcision of the flesh, but circumcision of the heart, the Bible teaches circumcision of the heart. And so Paul said, because the gospel has come to the Gentiles, by faith we come into the family of God. A key verse for you, Karen, is Galatians 3.29. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. We're not Jewish, but we're still his seed. Why? By faith. And heirs according to the promise. So that's key to understand that. That by the Spirit we're brought into the family of God, not of the circumcision of the flesh, but the circumcision of the heart. It's by faith. Um, Coco says, um, need salvation. Pray this. But okay. So you're giving me a, a, a salvation prayer. Uh, Ari says, I have a question about the devil. Do we love or hate the devil? I know we are to resist him, but the Bible says to love our enemies. Then again, he's not a person, but purely evil. It's a good question, and here's the answer to it. Um, we This is funny because it's the only time we allow our children to use the word hate is in reference to the devil. We hate the devil. We hate the devil. He's an enemy. And, and when the Bible says that we're to love our enemies, it's speaking about human beings, people that could possibly be saved. Those that could possibly in the future receive the gospel and believe it and become new creation or new creatures in Christ Jesus. And so love and pray for your enemies is talking about your human enemies. It doesn't mean demons and it doesn't mean Satan himself. We already know. Now there's this doctrine called universalism where people believe that at the end, nothing can resist the love and grace of God and everybody and everything will go back to heaven by the end. That's a lie. And that's not what the Bible teaches by any means. Uh, you're to hate what is evil. And the Bible already tells us what is going to happen to Satan and every demon and fallen angel and those that follow him. At the end of th time, they will be cast into the lake of fire which is eternal separation from God and eternal suffering and damnation. There's no hope for the devil. There is no hope for demons. They have already fallen. They've already rebelled and they will be punished eternally. Jesus will consume them by the breath of his mouth, the Bible says. So you can hate the devil. You can hate what is evil. The devil is evil. Anytime uh, Jesus met demons or the devil in scripture. He treated them as enemies, treated them as enemies and dealt with them in that way. Always, always. So don't love, you, you don't love the devil. You don't feel bad for the devil. You don't feel bad for demons. You don't, their, their fate is sealed. They're headed into eternal destruction at the end of time. When it says, love your enemies, we love People, you've got to love people. You, you see people, look, let me give you an example. Look at the apostle Paul who used to be Saul. I'm sure people could have looked at him and said, here's a man who is not only persecuting the church, he's murdering Christians for fun. I mean, just going around murdering Christians. So much so that he had a, he had a reputation that preceded him 
that was, he's a murderer. So that when the Christians saw him after his conversion, they were still wary and couldn't hardly believe that it was true. They were still nervous to be around him. But there's a man right there that was at first an enemy of God until the Lord showed up uh, to him on the road to Damascus and said, you know, it's hard to kick against the pricks. So understand his life turned around. He went from being an enemy of God to God's number one man in the New Testament outside of Jesus that he used to propagate the gospel and, and to write the New Testament. So there's always hope for people as long as we're in this dispensation of grace where we can preach the gospel and trust and believe that God will save the lost, that they'll believe the gospel. So we love people. We hate the devil. We hate demons. We fight against them. And so he may have, he may have met some of his victims in heaven. Talking about Apostle Paul. But let me just encourage you. We're going to be back tonight, seven o'clock. Don't miss it. Do not miss it. Spirit of faith sessions. I'm so excited about these. Every night, 7 p.m., we're going to build your faith, get you set on fire, and no weapon formed against us can be allowed to prosper. We're standing in faith, believing God for the best, and uh, and that's what we're doing. And so you're not going to want to miss it. If you didn't get a chance to subscribe to YouTube, go there and subscribe. We'll be back tonight, 7 o'clock. I love you guys so much. Appreciate you. And uh, I'll see you very soon. Get somebody with you. You know what? If you have to do... Uh, if we, if you have to do a house party, get, we had people doing that last night, getting together and watching the broadcast on the big screen. Now that that's helpful. If you're on YouTube, if you watch it on YouTube, you can push the broadcast to the television and sit in your living room and watch it on the big screen. So I encourage you guys to do that. Uh, we'll be back tonight. I love you so much. And I'll talk to you very soon. Have a great day. See you at seven. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.